Welcome to the Leadership Exposé podcast. This podcast is for leaders at diverse levels and organizations around the world who are seeking to scale and transform their leadership, to level up their business, and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business topics, trends, innovation, and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host, Stephen Paul. We have an exciting guest and leader today, and you will love this. She is a business and professional leader with experience and knowledge across sectors and business and technology domains in emerging and established companies. Uh, she is featured and recognized in numerous publications and media such as Yahoo Finance and Involved People um, as num number 28 of the top 100 ethnic minority executives um, and um, has a global icon awards uh, in 2022 by World Association of um, SMEs, just to mention a few. And you will see the full list in the podcast summary as we publish that. And she has received several awards globally by private and government institutions. We welcome Dr. Bijna Desani. She holds several executive and board roles globally and is a leading force in diversity and increasing the ratio of women in tech and business. Uh, Bijna is an appointed member of the most excellent order of the British Empire in 2020 by Her Majesty, the Queen for her services to diversity and inclusion in financial services. We will hear with interest on Bijna's journey and how she's contributing professionally and also to the society whilst leading and influencing change on multidimensional levels, as well as bringing that link between diversity, equality and leadership. Bijna, welcome. How are you doing today? Thank you, Stephen. I'm doing very well, and it's an absolute honor and privilege to be here with you today. Um, I, I really am very excited about uh, this topic, so thank you for having me. Wonderful, Bijna. So just before we started this session, um, uh, you know, I, I shared with you that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm based in the UK, and I completely recognize that you're a global citizen, but where are you based these days? I am based in transit, would be fair to say, um, and, and I'll give you a little more color. So um, I'm originally from uh, Leicester. That's that's my hometown in the Midlands here in UK. And um, I'm, and it's actually where I'm speaking to you from today, which is it's really nice. It always feels like home to be back here. Uh, but ultimately, I have spent um, the last 20 years, uh, you know, because of my career, uh, all over the world. So I've sort of lived uh, and worked on Wall Street in, in the States, covered uh, different parts of North and South America, I've worked across uh, Europe and EMEA and um, also Asia, Asia Pacific. Um, and most recently, I've just spent three years uh, pretty much, um, you know, in India for, for the role that I've been in there, um, growing an organization uh, within a financial services company um, and building out a footprint there. So it's safe to say that I am um, where my work leads me um, and definitely a global citizen, uh, but Leicester is home. Wonderful. So you touched upon some of your travels and where you're based. We're keen to hear about your, uh, your personal and uh, professional journey. Where did it all begin? 
Well, um, in all honesty, I was uh, a little unclear on career trajectory uh, when I was at university. I had originally always had a keen interest in uh, neurology, um, but for personal reasons, that's not a subject I, I could follow. Um, I needed to have flexibility. So um, at the age of 16, um, I, I took on my first full-time job, which was with HMRC, uh, processing tax returns. That was, again, here in Leicester. Um, and since then, all of my education happened. Whilst I was working full-time, all of my education happened part-time at night school. So that's really how my journey started. And in those days, um, at night school, business and accounting were some of the subjects that were available. Um, and it just it just worked. It was just convenient. It was an area that I was interested in. Not my first preference, but definitely interested in. So pursued education that then led me to university, um, again, stayed at home uh, here in Leicester, read uh, business at De Montfort University at night school and continued to work uh, full time during the day. And then I landed um, at an internship with Credit Suisse um, in my penultimate year of university. And that was really my first introduction to investment banking um, and, and a whole new world, to be honest. And um, following that, I started uh, with Goldman Sachs in New York. And as they say, the rest is history. Here we are almost 20 years later. Amazing. Amazing. Um, it's a bit, 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 you know, this is... Uh... Uh, you know, very interesting. I, you know, I read your profile, and you've you've got quite a few roles and quite a few things that you're um, that you're focused on. Tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, look, my core role in my day job um, is I call it sort of the yin and yang. Um, it's strategy and innovation, and they sort of go hand in hand in the world in which we live today. Technology is increasingly prevalent in all industries and sectors. Um, and often I talk about the fact that, you know, the World Economic Forum reported um, about six or seven years ago that, um, you know, by 2025-ish, 70% um, of tasks in jobs as we know them today, uh, whatever industry you're in, they'll be somewhat automated. And so the responsibility for humans will be to take care of that technology. Uh, but the one thing that will set companies apart will be um, EQ in high emotional intelligence that sort of becomes the commodity um, and really we, we kind of live in this world where strategy is obviously important always has been technology is increasingly prevalent we are getting up to speed with new technologies um, but but that piece where you know rather than emailing or messaging on team somebody that you're sitting in front of or behind of uh, changing that and, and kind of tapping into human in interactions is, is increasingly important and particularly from a leadership perspective. So to answer your question in short, my career has been in financial services predominantly for the last two decades. Um, strategy and innovation is kind of the yin and yang of what I do, uh, but there's a huge focus above and beyond that on leadership. And for me, that leadership component is very heavily underpinned by the diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda. And so um, to A, pay it forward, and B, keep learning, 
Um, outside of my day job, I'm also a member of um, about half a dozen companies as an advisory board member, uh, looking at how we can create opportunities for people from different backgrounds, um, looking at the different verticals of diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and then I'm also looking at economic empowerment. Um, and for that, uh, I support a number of uh, funds uh, around investment strategy, around um, you know, empowerment from different lenses um, in different regions. So there's, there's a piece around venture capital and startup that I do too. Uh, and quite often I also work with the CEOs or the leadership teams of these organizations to advise and guide them on how um, they can bring effective leadership and organizational design into their, into their companies. Bijna, you know that intersection between leadership and diversity and diversity with a capital D here because mm. it's much broader. Tell, tell us a little bit more about how you're influencing those aspects and what kind of trends you're actually seeing between the different sectors, countries, and, and where your focus has been on, on, on different parts of diversity, which you, which you touched upon. But Keen to hear a little bit more on that. Yeah. So, so I mean, I'm going to start with the very basics, which is is my own journey, and that's kind of what's what's always um, been a catalyst or a trigger for me to engage in in some of this um, more proactively than I might have done otherwise. Right. So, for me, there's always been a need for reform in terms of a raising awareness and b policy to support, strengthen, and underpin that awareness. Um, I'm more sensitive to the diversity agenda because I myself have experienced a lot of situations in the professional world as a minority, um, as an ethnic minority, as a gender minority. Um, so banking has been known historically for being heavily male-dominated. Uh, that has been true, particularly in the first 10 years of my career. Um, age as well. Um, I quite often was the youngest person in the room. Um, so there are many lenses of diversity and inclusion and equity that I have felt firsthand. Um, and today, I think we've come a very long way, particularly in the last decade, but even through the pandemic. Um, but we still have a very, very long way to go that the progress and the awareness as a global community that we have um, I think it still simply drops in the ocean. Um, and so the organizations I support look at different diversity lenses to try and create that impact. Um, they try and measure against that impact and kind of really start to help move the dial by, by supporting organizations with their strategies. And so for me, that, that's the exciting piece. But, you know, I, I'm very much... Um, today focused on a very broad spectrum and I won't touch on all of them because we'll be here forever, but yeah. um, socioeconomic empowerment, intersectionality, gender, race, ethnicity, um, mental health, actually. Um, all of these things are sort of very close to my heart and, and, and things that I, I pretty much do spend at least some time every single day on um, working on and kind of thinking about, learning about, seeing how I can help make a positive difference. Yeah. And do you find the awareness of um, these topics, diversity in a, in a broader sense, is is much more mature in 
some of the startup type of organizations or smaller medium type organizations or is it on the well-established organizations in your experience or in your so, view? So I have to be honest and say that you can be in a any type of organization. You can be in a multinational, you can be in a startup, you can be in any type of organization. But if the culture of the organization doesn't have an awareness for diversity weaved into its fabric, it's not going to be successful. So I have you know, been engaged with organizations where in one part of the world, they will only measure diversity against gender because that's all the law mandates. Uh, in other parts, they'll have policies for domestic abuse and link that to mental health policies and well-being and psychological safety for colleagues because that is what is needed and that's what the government supports and what policy and administration um, give provision for. But, and then there'll be places in the middle where they're doing nothing. Um, I really think that um, there has to be a recognition universally that first of all, every single human being has more than one identity. So we have a combination of various identity markers these markers include our gender, our sexuality, our religion, our age, our caste, class, ability, disability, race, everything combined. These combinations then become unique um, shapers of who we are and how we operate and the lens that we have on the world and our place within that world. This is called an intersectional lens. Having awareness as an organization of intersectional lenses can empower them to A, cohesively understand, and B, directly address inequalities in systems of inequalities, which is really the status quo of the world in which we live today. So for me, intersectionality is a good starting point. And I think, you know, any organization, large, small, new, old, established, wherever in the world, if they can think about the intersectionality lens, um, they will be at a very sound starting point to address the agenda and actually make a difference. That is very powerful, um, very powerful indeed. Let's let's talk about leadership here. Which, uh, and, and can you share a story with us um, that comes to your mind um, as a senior leader or an executive as you are a board, board advisor or board member that has resulted in a highly positive outcome? Yeah, I think what I'm what I'm going to share with you is is a couple of small examples that probably tell a story, right? Um, as I reflect on you know having lived and worked in multiple continents over the past decade, um, and the opportunity to, to kind of explore so many more, um, I landed with a bank during the pandemic um, in a part of the world that I hadn't lived in before, and that that was India. Um, and, you know, last year I was recognized um, as, you know, their advocate of the year for 2021 in that region um, for my work to, to diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, but really, I had written about this and said, it's not mine to appreciate. Never have I experienced such incredible and consistent leadership whereby the organization has had a real stellar focus on people on corporate culture and sustaining a healthy work environment, which was at the forefront of the firm's agenda day in, day out. Now talking about it, putting the headlines in the press is, is really, really uh, great. And it's, it, it signals a commitment and a lot of companies did that. But what I felt and experienced was um, 
real firsthand support for colleagues around the world with some very creative, never tried before policies through the turbulence of the pandemic. And so what this did was it gave people support on a geography by geography basis um, to provide uh, an awareness and inclusive uh, acceptance of all different facets of diversity and inclusion, get people comfortable, get them to psychological safety, and then help them to, to succeed. And, you know, their examples were giving people well-being leave. Examples were giving people time off if they were taking care of elderly parents or family members who were dealing with COVID. Um, giving people um, support mechanisms in the workplace where they could talk about um, mental health, they could talk about neurodiversity, they could talk about allyship, um, and basically helping colleagues to create powerful connections between and in individuals, but also organizational values. Um, and really, I think that that for me spoke volumes. I, I credit that as, you know, the best working environment I've had in my life. And that was during one of the most difficult challenges that humankind in our lifetime has had to deal with. And I think, you know, one of my learnings was that we are all byproducts of the nurturing in our environments versus our nature to a great extent, right? So being a byproduct of the nurturing versus our nature, that is where leaders are often made, not born. That, that is my kind of takeaway. And I think if you've got that nurturing from the organization, the autonomy to go run, and you've got people who, whilst they're dealing with their own personal challenges, you know, dealing with their own families, um, struggling through a, a, a situation like the pandemic, um, but still saying, I'm going to be increasingly motivated to create the right environment and support these thousands of people that are leaning on me as a leader. Um, I, you know, I, I take my hat off to those kinds of individuals. And, and very luckily for me, um, I was surrounded by those who basically said, we are going to change the narrative and we are going to define our narrative and our crucibles before they define us. And we're going to come together as a community and make that happen. And I, I felt that firsthand. Yeah, and Bijna, that's, uh, that, 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 that's really encouraging to hear that. I found that, the, you know, that leadership agenda and the people agenda, as you described it, is so important and taking into account people's needs and how they actually integrate into the organization, but th themselves as well, to build their true north. Um, it's such, such a such such an important aspect. You touched upon um, pandemic and um, the times when you you relocated or you were you were in in, in India. What uh, what experience or story um, can you share with us aside from some of those elements that you're that you've experienced or experiencing? Um, you know, from a pandemic perspective, how how companies or how people are kind of bouncing back from that? I think there's um, uh, a history to um, every present situation, um, which kind of underpins the how in organizations and geographies and families, whichever way you look at it, right? We're, we're all human when we really simplify um, the 8 billion uh, people on this planet and so our human innate tend tendencies take us back to our kind of deeply ingrained behavioral and value systems and I think 
for me, um, and, and I'm of Indian origin, by the way, um, tolerance and resilience speak volumes, right? And and I'm being raised, those were the things that were constantly inscribed into me. My, my parents were um, both, both from East Africa, um, moved here kind of in the, in the 60s and 70s, and grandparents were from India. And, and they never forgot what came with them from you know their journeys when they when they were in India and then they moved to Africa and then they moved to England, um, and really um, there is still a narrative in India which which needs a lot of work right because India's history and independence is still relatively recent um, and culturally there are a lot of norms um, that are evolving but there is still opportunity to to do more. Um, India has a large um, economically deprived population, unfortunately, right? There is a poverty crisis um, affecting a large percentage of the population. And that's not me, that's the data from the World Bank, that's the data from the World Economic Forum talking about this. Um, more than 30% uh, of Indians actually live below the poverty line even today. And 70% of these are women. Less than 20% of women um, who can be in the workforce are actually in the workforce. Um, there is a piece around gender discrimination in India, um, but there is also a piece around uh, mental health disorders. There is also a piece around social expectations and social norms. Um, and then there is the piece around uh, economic responsibility. And in India, um, during the pandemic, more than 60 million people were pushed into further poverty from the middle class segment. Um, and 84% of the middle class families said that post pandemic, they spend 23% less on basics such as groceries. Mm. Um, so the first point to call out from a diversity perspective here is economic and social inclusion or, or, or making sure that we're you know, avoiding the pitfalls of exclusion. So there, this is addressing that there is a change in socioeconomic classes um, and this affects our you know, mental well-being, physical well-being. There's a direct correlation between stress and illness. Um, and that is also critical and undervalued. In fact, Boston University claims that the COVID era has overall tripled depression rates. Mm -hmm. The World Health Organization said that this was the global pandemic within the pandemic. And although it shared resource protocols across the world, only 17% of countries implemented the, the guidance. Um, and presently, you know, there's a $1 trillion um, impact to economic productivity, which is being lost due to depression and anxiety alone. And when I was working in India and I, I started to do some diversity events on mental health, um, I found that the, that the kind of the roots of this were so deeply ingrained. It was such a taboo. People were not comfortable first coming forward and talking about this. Um, there's one example that, that really stuck with me, right? There was a young lady who, in my network, who um, she was educated um, really well to master's level from a top university. She managed to get a job in private equity. Now, senior jobs for women in financial services, I mean, women are only up to 20, 25% in the C-suite anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, to get a job in STEM or in private equity as a female, it, you're in a minority, right? You must be very sharp and, yeah. and, and have worked very hard to get there. So 
she was already at the top of her league for her demographic, for her capability, for her opportunity. And sadly, you know, her father passed away uh, during the pandemic and uh, the family put a lot of pressure on her to say, we, we need to get you married off. And she was only in her 20s. And I remember um, there was an alliance that was fixed where the boy's family were coming to visit her family and her and kind of have a meeting of how arranged marriages happen. And she contracted COVID. And the family basically said, and she was seriously unwell. She couldn't go to work for four or five days. She had very high fever, a lot of difficult symptoms. And her family said that it's your responsibility to make sure that the boy's family do not come to know that you have COVID because if they break the alliance, you will be disrespecting us and them. Wow. And I, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Wow. You know, this is 2021. This is Mumbai. This is an educated, smart, intelligent woman who is at the top of her league. But the social pressure for her to sustain an image of perfection at the cost of her mental and physical health, it was just alarming. Absolutely alarming. Um, and, and that's one example. And there were other examples where, you know, um, Look, in India, even if you're middle class, you have house help with cooking, with cleaning, with chores. And, and men and women together were working from home. And the, when, there were, when there was no house help, all of the responsibility for cooking meals three times a day, taking care of children, taking care of elderly parents, because in India, typically people live in extended families. All of that was falling on the women. So when I was looking at it from a leadership perspective, it was right. We need to do two things. One is we need to talk about the concept of career allyship. So we need to educate the male colleagues about what the impact of this is, not only on their female colleagues, but even perhaps their spouses, their sisters, their mothers, women that they're living with who want to have their careers and sustain them. How do we share the load at home and make it easier to share the load at work and be supportive as opposed to um, you know, creating more stress and, and, and tension in an already stressful time. Um, and what was beautiful about that was a lot of a lot of male colleagues came forward and said, nobody ever asked me for help. Nobody ever told me. But if somebody had, of course, I'd step forward, you know, so the intent was all there. Um, and it created it created a lot of healthy, progressive movement. Um, and then there was another piece of, you know, flexible working. So it's okay, you know, like go have the autonomy to do what you need to take care of your family and your home and your life and log in and do what you need to when you need to rather than micromanaging. So leadership really had to take a, a shift. And I think my managers that were micromanaging probably um, didn't sustain at, at kind of management level because that just was not the right way to um, lead teams and lead organizations through the pandemic. Yeah, no, very, very, very interesting, Bijna. Um, Bijna, you're, you're a leader in your own right. Um, and you've obviously got a lot of uh, personal and professional life lessons. Some of them you've, you've articulated. Um, are, are there any business leaders or other leaders that you follow or admire or, or people that you, uh, you look up to? I honestly feel that there's um, a lot to learn from from everyone you meet, right? Um, and one of the beautiful things about my career has, has been that I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of people from different backgrounds and um, different parts of the world that I would not have had the opportunity to otherwise. 
Um, and I always like to take something away in terms of learning from, from the engagements I have. But in all honesty, I think look, leadership translates into many different aspects um, of our life. And, um, you know, I think for me, there is skill, there is capability, there is comp competency, um, but I think there's also humanity. Um, and it goes back to that piece I was talking about right at the beginning about EQ, empathy, understanding that we're all human. Um, and I think for me, um, when I see uh, strong uh, empathy, when I see a, willing to, a willingness and a desire to do the right thing and do the right thing when no one's watching, that's something that I, I, I really like to try and emulate and learn from. And beliefs become behavior. So I think also evaluating and observing uh, people's belief systems is, is also a really important aspect for me. And it's something that I do probably consciously as well as subconsciously as well. Um, so for, for me, if I was to name a few, um, they would be my own leaders that I've, I've kind of had reporting lines into. Uh, I quite often say that there's, there's one, um, you know, uh, one manager who I had who pretty much gave me wings during the pandemic. Um, and, and his name is Andrew Hershon. And he is somebody that I have a lot of um, regard and respect for. And I, I worked for him um, during the pandemic in, in Mumbai. And, and he's been fantastic. Uh, by far one of the strongest allies for the diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda that I've uh, ever come across in my working career. So he's absolutely one. Um, another former manager slash mentor um, is uh, somebody by the name of Paul Griffiths. Um, Paul is someone that hired me to State Street uh, more than a decade ago, um, but he really was one of the most compassionate and empathetic leaders um, and, and, and this was during the recession. I know the UK is about to go into recession again. Uh, and there's lots of comparables to the 2008 crisis. And this is a time when, you know, I saw him navigate some very challenging situations. So I think when you are um, looking at your own leadership uh, kind of examples, you can feel uh, a not so great manager very quickly and you can feel an excellent manager very quickly too. So uh, these two are, are definitely two that I've learned a lot from. Um, and then in my own circle, friends, family, I mean, even my own mother is an example. I, I like to really learn from how people choose to consciously evolve. Um, and I think there's something, you know, that is really beautiful about elevating others through that evolution that I really have a lot of regard for too. Wonderful, Bejna. Um Let's talk about you. I mean, what does uh, what does a day in the life of Bijna look like? And you million dollar <laughs> million million dollar question. Um, so I typically like to spend um, the first part of my day um, exercising yoga. So most days uh, there's there's a little bit of focus on yoga. So no devices, um, and really it's about kind of setting a baseline for mind, body, and soul. Um, and then in terms of, um, you know, technology that then starts to creep in. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I, I consciously um, at the start of every day kind of reshuffle if I need to prioritize certain things. Um, and, and most of my day then thereafter is spent 
kind of traveling with technology on Zoom, on mobile devices, all the rest of it. I think just the way most of us tend to work now in, in kind of office environments. Um, I do like to fit in face-to-face -face interaction at least a couple of times a week where possible. And then I do spend a fair amount of time traveling too. So I have to kind of make way for that. Um, every evening, um, I, I follow a practice um, of journaling, which is, it's gratitude journaling, actually. Mm -hmm. So you write down three things that you are uh, thankful for. Um, and it's kind of reinforcing the positive aspects into your life. And and this is something I started towards the end of last year. And, and I found it to be, um, you know, a very positive and healthy practice. So I've sustained it. Um, and then I do a little bit of meditation. So, you know, how was the day? How did I deal with certain situations? What could I have done differently? What do I need to work on? And, and I do this, it can be five minutes, it can be 15, it can be 50 if I have the time. Um, but without fail, I'll spend a little bit of time going into this reflective mode every single day. Um, and then again, just kind of having a, a, a quick view on my priorities for the next day and even kind of the next three to four days so that I know directionally what I'm working on and, and focusing. So, so relatively structured around yoga, reflection, gratitude journaling, uh, a lot of organized chaos with the technology and travel in between. Um, and when I'm not working, um, I do spend a lot of my personal and social time supporting the advisory boards and the organizations that I've meant, uh, mentioned. Uh, I also mentor and coach uh, CEOs, leaders, um, young people at university. So um, that all plays into my personal time. And uh, when I'm not doing any of that, I love to bake. Um, I love to trek. I love to travel for leisure. So, um, and I love to read. So, so that's me in a nutshell. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and as you were just describing some of those elements there, I mean, the journaling and the you know, meditation, I can completely relate to that because it, it centers yourself. It centers me during, um, you know, those um, uh, th those times when I'm actually doing that. And it helps me to focus for the next uh, next day's work or the next uh, next period. And um, with lots of work and lots of distractions, lots of disruption, it's such an important aspect to be doing that. And while many people may frown upon some of those elements, it definitely helps many people, and it's it's great to know that it it is really you're using those uh, those those aspects as well because I definitely do that. That's very nice to hear, and I'm sure there are probably some tips and and techniques I can learn from you. Yeah, um, always willing to try new things. Yeah. So, Bishna, what's what's the next big business or personal adventure for you? Oh, there are many, there are many adventures, um, but I would say watch the space um, and um, there will be more to follow through Bishna.com. Um, we're just going live with that this month. So the plan is to keep updates coming on there. Um, look, I have a lot to learn um, and a lot of uh, ambitions to try and make small steps or small drops in the ocean that will hopefully help, you know, change the narrative into a more positive one for a lot of uh, different lenses across the diversity spectrum. So it's it's just a case of work in progress and, and, and more to follow. Okay, wonderful, Now We're coming to a close now. Is there any uh, closing messages or a challenge to other leaders or people that you would like to share? 
I think, look, we've all as a global community been through a lot with the pandemic and it's changed, it's changed um, people's perspectives um, on a lot of things. And I think that's been, you know, really, really interesting. But the bit that really stands out for me is um, the fact that actually um, when we talk about things from a diversity um, and, and inclusive inclusion lens, there is actually now a much more bigger divide than there was pre-pandemic. And that's because you look at the gender aspect, for example, women have become economically disempowered through the pandemic. Um, and again, this is not me, this is the reports and the data. There's talking about this. There was a huge um, publication from the IMF recently that kind of did a deep dive on this too. Um, also from a socioeconomic perspective, I gave the example of India, but actually globally, I mean, even if I look at the UK today, you know, the headlines in the news are all about uh, an up and coming recession that we're expecting for five quarters from this year. And that's going to socially and economically displace a lot of families who've already been hit hard financially and economically in different ways through the pandemic. So I think the one thing for me is um, when we talk about leadership and we talk about the importance of leadership and connect with diversity, it's just think about the fact that everyone you connect with in the workplace and outside is going through a journey. Um, and quite often we don't have the insights into why people choose to do things that they choose or choose to say things that they say. But I think going back to that earlier point on empathy and in EQ, it's always important to try and understand um, that before we make decisions, what the implications of those may be, before we make statements, what the implications of those may be, and to bring that lens of empathy um, and EQ to the discussion and really see if you can support people that may be going through, you know, invisible difficulties and challenges. We are in no way, shape or form living in an easy version of uh, the world as it is today. Wise words from uh, Bijna. Thank you very much for being with us today and sharing Thanks. your journey. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode where we hear from a business leader and a businesswoman who is on a journey of building a digital bank. More to come on that. Thank you and have a wonderful day.